Can I first ask, is it Billy? Is it William? What do you actually like to be called? There's so many conflicting answers out there. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I really don't care. I know that sounds terrible, but I really don't care. I'm, I, I'm so used to answering to Billy. Um, William's my real name in life. So some people in my life call me William. Most people call me Billy. Professionally, most people know me as Billy, but in NWA, I'm William Patrick Corgan. So it's, it's, a, it's a hot mess. Right. Well, I guess whatever they call you, they call you. So uh, NWA 74, let's get that plug straight out of the way. What's the best way to order NWA 74? Uh, you go to Fight, F-I-T-E, which is a digital uh, sports combat app, and, uh, and just order. Very simple to order and very simple to watch. Well, it's a two-night experience. Did you know outright that it was going to be two nights when you started planning the event? Yeah, we, um, we talked about doing Empower again. We didn't feel that that was there in the cards at this moment. So um, then we shifted to one or two nights. And I thought, no, we, we've got so much going on. And with special guests, I definitely want to make it two nights. So feel really good about it. feel the cards gotten stronger and stronger the more we worked on it. Yeah. Have a lot of great talent. And um, yeah, and then it's just get on with the show. That reminds you, you know, what I love about NWA is that it's a mix of old and future. And by that, I mean, we see people that were in WWE and other companies. We see people who are tomorrow's stars. It's really a gathering of people who get it and love wrestling. Was that the goal at the beginning to be the mix of the old and the new? Because if I can say so, you might have been the original Forbidden Door. Good point. Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I think in the beginning, it was just like, what are we going to build and can we make it actually work and look somewhat like I want it to be? I was criticized when I first took over the NWA um, for not sort of blowing more money in the open market. And I just felt that it would sort of back me into a corner where I would forever be beholden. I'd worked with an independent company in Chicago. Right. And it was the classic thing where you bring in a, an ex WWE star you know, that they become kind of the draws autograph, maybe they throw a punch or get involved in a match. I didn't want the NWA to be dependent on um, former stars or, or legends, for, for a nicer way to put it, uh, to, to, to draw people. So I was willing to start very much sort of the beginning, put together a roster of people who were overlooked, people who were underappreciated. Eddie Kingston comes to mind, somebody mm -hmm. I'd worked with in TNA. And just kind of just get 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 to work on it. And um, you know, you look at who's who's uh, gone on from the NWA in the last few years. Whether it's Eli Drake, I don't know what his name is now. I know they've changed it a couple times. Right. Um, Ricky Starks, yeah. Eddie Kingston, of course, Thunder Rosa. So we've had good success at taking people who are very talented, very skilled, putting them them in the right position, and having the market go, hey, maybe those people are overlooked. So. Um, I, I do think we're, we are building a lot of stars for tomorrow, and I don't think it will always be that way. I think we're going to kind of come more into a contemporary frame as we go along. That's got to be a big, big difference from your success in the music world to wrestling. Whereas if you co-write a song or you produce an album, assuming you didn't get swindled, you get royalties for the rest of your life on that. And here you are discovering future talent. And they move on and you don't necessarily have a future interest beyond owning some of their old tapes. I, I actually, I, I, it may sound strange, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that certain talents have moved on and gone on to do bigger and better things. And I don't think that's, uh, that puts down the NWA. I think that shows that what the NWA has built 
is this successful model that in growing, we can become a, a stepping stone for certain talents, not every talent, but certain talents, you know, they deserve to go on to that next level. And, and I always congratulated them on that. In the early days before the NWA, there was buzz that you had a reality show coming to AMC. And I'm sure at the beginning that was like, oh, that was a lost opportunity. But now it actually may have been a blessing that that didn't happen. Yeah, I was disappointed um, that it didn't happen. But in a weird kind of way, I literally went from independent company reality show that didn't happen to working for TNA to that blew up and went all crazy to owning the NWA. And now five years later, I'm very happy, yeah. really fulfilled, probably for the first time in my experiences in professional wrestling. Um, I am a bit spoiled in that in my music life, I sort of am in charge of my world. And it was very hard at different times to work in wrestling where I wasn't in charge of things. It wasn't that I needed a lord over every detail. I don't. I just th I find it sort of part of my logic that if I have a vision and, and I'm not able to implement it, it gets very frustrating having to go through uh, gatekeepers to explain why this finish is better than that or this right. character is better than the other character. And it also gets into relationships with talent. When I first came into TNA and a lot of the talent just saw me as somebody maybe who was going to stick around for a second, right. uh, I found a lot of people really not listening to me. In certain cases, I had to pull talent inside and said, listen, I'm in the office. I'm on the booking committee. I don't think you want to mess with me. I'm, I have the power to sort of get you off television. Yeah. And that the threat of it, and, and I'm saying this sort of half joking, it didn't really make a difference. I don't think they really believed me. What really made a difference was when the talent saw I had credibility by getting talent over and then other talent wanted to work with me behind the scenes because I was successful with the talents that I was working with. And I, I learned a lesson in that. Like you can throw your power around, certainly in the NWA, I could throw my power around. What really, really matters in, in professional wrestling is gaining people's respect and their trust. Which you have clearly by the fact I, I hope, that people- I, Sorry to interrupt you, I, I hope so. I hope so. I, I know not every talent agrees or understands or why the NWA isn't like all the other kids on the block. You know, wrestling has its trendy moments, too. Right. Um, I like to think, and I say this oftentimes to talent, particularly if they are having issues, I'm like, look, if what we're doing together isn't working for you, just go work somewhere else and come back at another time. And maybe I'll be in a different place and you'll be in a different place. I, I like the idea of an open door. I don't see this as like you must do it our way. And if it doesn't work, you know, somebody's going to bang a gavel down. I, I, I really don't want to be in that professional wrestling business. Well said. <laughs> well, something I read 10 years ago has been in the back of my mind that Jerry Seinfeld and you were having dinner and he kind of looked down on professional wrestling. And would you mind me asking about that? Because I have a reason behind this madness right here. Sure. No, you, you feel, feel free to ask about that. OK, so the, the way that the, the report reported it was that he gave you a condescending talk about wrestling and blah, blah, blah. That was kind of the end of story. And you defended your fandom, which is cool. But. I've a few times interviewed George Wallace, who's one of Jerry's best friends. Do you know who George is? I think I know who he is. Is, is he a comedian? He's a comedian, yeah. Yeah. Jerry calls him Henry, but no, no one knows what his real name is, but we think he's George Wallace. Anyway, George Wallace used to go to WWF shows, or at least shows at the Garden with Jerry. Did Jerry admit that or come up about that? Because George Wallace loves wrestling. No, I don't, I don't remember that. What I do remember is it was, it was a pleasant, fun dinner. And somehow, I, I think it was when I was messing around with ECW at the time, the subject of professional wrestling came up and people's reaction to me being involved in professional wrestling, however, tangentially. And uh, in a very Jerry Seinfeld way, he started going, eh, wrestling, ah, and like, I, I felt like I was in the Seinfeld episode. 
And we got in kind of a fun, you know, as you can at a dinner, it wasn't hostile in any stretch of the imagination. We got into kind of a fun repartee about what makes wrestling valuable. And of course I went to the, you know, the very easy trope, which is look, it's just soap opera for, for, you know, disgruntled males, you know, it's a way to sort of, you know, it's Grecian pathos played out in a very particular way. And if you go back even into ancient times, when they would stage plays, they would have simulated combat in ancient Roman and Grecian plays. So working, and by the way, movies, hello, theater, hello, everybody's working, right? Right. Somehow professional wrestling in America in the 20th century kind of got this rap as uh, probably from the kayfabe times where they, you know, they had a whistle past a lot of things, which probably they shouldn't have whistled past. So here I am having this sort of, you know, general genteel argument with somebody who's obviously a masterful mind and comedian. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I stood my ground because, you know, um, I'm not particularly a Seinfeld fan. So I wasn't sort of in awe of the of the thing. And and I've met enough people in my own celebrity to understand that sometimes the best conversations you can have with somebody who's not awed by who you are in the world they just see you as an intelligent person you can have a conversation so that's what it that's what it strikes in my memory but at no point did he say he liked professional wrestling anyway in fact he took the contrarian position which that was wrestling was stupid but his manager was andy kaufman's manager if you really go smaller <laughs> on that whole thing and if you look at the history of comedians who've dabbled in wrestling and wrestlers who've then tried to dabble in comedy you know we'll see rvd doing his one-man show and mick foley etc and then besides andy kaufman john stewart had his storyline ron funchess will do anything he can in wrestling i just thought there would be that mutual love and respect between comedians and wrestlings knowing they're kind of doing the same thing. It, it, didn't, it did not happen in that dinner, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So back to you and the success of the NWA. Is there a thing, I'm going to guess it's the longevity, but is there a thing that you're most proud of so far in the first five years or so of the NWA? I think the, 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 the continuing, which was difficult, certainly through the pandemic, and I think secondarily that probably only in the last nine months or so do I finally feel it's starting to look like the company I want it to look like. So if you like the product, great. That's all the work I've been doing to get it there. If you don't like it, well, it's not going to change because it'll get better, but it's not going to change. I think we found a very interesting balance of old school, new school, mm-hmm. um, and carved out a very particular identity. And by the way, professional wrestling has millions and millions of fans all over the world. And I'm in a very weird rock band. Not everybody loves my weird rock band. So I'm used to sort of dealing with the fact that even though I'm in a very big band, not a lot of people understand, like, that's totally cool. Um, I don't want to be in the wrestling business where you're sort of trying to like everybody, get everybody to like you. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I want to be in a very particular business and, and, I'll, and I'll rise and fall exactly on that vision. Well, having experienced the highest of highs, my words, not yours, when it comes to commercial success in music, the multi-platinum albums, the arena tours for decades, et cetera. Does that mess with your expectations for NWA? It makes it hard sometimes because, um, you know, somewhere in the late 90s, uh, I reached a level of, of fame where, you know, you get used to certain parts of it. Right. Uh, not everything is everlasting in fame. But, you know, you're used to getting the better table at the restaurant or, you know, things like that. The things, the the accoutrements of it all. And uh, it's been a very difficult thing to understand at times and learn that my celebrity doesn't necessarily translate into fidelity in the wrestling fandom. 
Um, I haven't been able to bring as many fans over from my world as I would have liked in a professional wrestling, nor, nor does my celebrity translate to any particular meaning with most wrestling fans. In fact, mo what most wrestling fans care about is the stars, the stars that go into the ring and ply their trade as they should. Um, so I had to kind of like learn sort of like, okay, this is the way it is. And, and there are limits and there are moments you can press a button and get things done. Uh, for example, in doing some NWA 74 promotional stuff, you know, I was able to pull something off today that probably somebody who wasn't my level of fame probably couldn't pull off to promote the show in St. Louis. So that's where it kind of works. But otherwise, no, it's just the hard work of trying to meet the expectation of what the NWA was, mm -hmm. is and can be. And um, and hopefully, you know, build a legion of devoted fans who will eventually sort of create the tipping point that we need to make people understand. And, and I and I did see it with ECW because I was a little late to the game. Mm -hmm. You know, when I went back and sort of uh, watched, you know, ECW 94, ECW 95, those type, and I, and it wasn't ECW that I was a fan of at the time. I sort of appreciated that the journey that they'd all been on and where, you know, somewhere around 96, 97, the whole thing started kind of kicking in. And I think uh, the NWA is on a similar journey. I think people will look back on this time that aren't on the wagon at this point and, and realize bandwagon, better word, uh, <laughs> Yeah. That aren't in wagon. They'll look back if, at this time and start to realize that this is the time where it really started to click. I was going to feed you a teenage fan club bandwagon esque reference. Wow! To bring the way back. And <laughs> I, I just had the first time I ever heard teenage fan club was somewhere in New Jersey. I just had a, a flashing. I think it was the same night I met Ali McGraw, the famous actor. So there, there's your, there's your, there's your inside baseball memory. Wow! As your old tour mate Noel Gallagher used to say. Um, uh, teenage fan club me is the second best wait he said something about them being the second best band to say that oasis was the first band, whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> they were a great band great songs i loved i we, i i know we did festival shows i i think we maybe played with them one time on a on a pumpkins bill but that, wow. that just might be a, a, made, a made up memory but i i hung out with them many times great band great band uh but back to you and your your awesomeness here um, and wrestling <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and the wrestling. Uh, there was a really impressive John Goodman voiceover that you had a while back on the pay per view. Is he a closet wrestling fan? I think he is a wrestling fan. Um, somebody who was working with us at the time knew him personally and got him to do that, which was fantastic. It was such a cool thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're out there. You know what I mean? There, there, there are more closeted uh, wrestling fans than, than anybody might realize. I certainly meet them along the way. Um, we're almost at a point now where I think people are willing to, to claim their fandom kind of openly. I think what's happened probably yeah. in the last 10 years, changes in the business, uh, more transparency, certainly the women being treated more respectfully uh, as a class of people who deserve to be treated respectfully. I think all those things have sort of started to move wrestling into the 21st century as a viable mainstream product, like it always has been. I think for years, it sort of celebrated that it was kind of outside the mainstream. And then at some point, the McMahons figured out that they, if they didn't mainstream, they were never going to make the bigger bucks. And so that, that started that transition away from the, from the, 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 the senior side of material, let's say, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if I could talk about those angle, old angles anymore. But the point is, right. is um, uh, more and more you see that wrestling is really just considered a mainstream entertainment in America. And that's kind of part of my sell job in the NWA when I talk to people on the business side. People on the business side see that the business is shifting. Mm -hmm. It's proving its durability in the social media age. 
uh, uh, WrestleMania's numbers last year, even though it was two days, dwarfing the Super Bowl numbers, that got a lot of people's attention. Yeah. Um, the fact that they have billion-dollar contracts, the sustain of the audience, uh, even though it's smaller than it used to be, the fact that they're there every week, bang, 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 bang. Obviously, AEW's success and their social media numbers, trust me, that's got people in the television side of the business focused on the fact that wrestling's due for another big run. And so that's everything I'm doing is to try to position the NWA to be part of that rising tide. You make an interesting point earlier when you were talking about how fewer people are embarrassed to be wrestling fans. I loved it in the 90s. Then music became my go-to thing. And then I guess I came back around maybe 04, 05. But it was still super embarrassing to pe tell people you were a wrestling fan. I'm noticing it's maybe the last six, seven years that it kind of became cool. Is that when you noticed more people being outward about loving wrestling? I don't know, because oftentimes people's opinions with wrestling and myself are mixed with their opinions on whether or not somebody like me should be in wrestling. <laughs> you know, the laziest, the laziest take with me in the media is rock star, you know, blows up life and runs wrestling company, something like that. And even in trying to dabble in, in reality shows, yeah. um, that seems to be the kind of the lazy take, like, what are you doing here? You know, this is, you know, this is where we, uh, you know, we feed the pigs and stuff. Like, aren't you, aren't you over there at the grand old Opry? Uh, so yeah, it's been more of that. So I, I feel it's harder for me to differentiate that because most people are very caught up in, in basically what are you doing in this world and how did you get here? They, they don't look at the fact that Rick Rubin helped fund a wrestling company 10 years before year first. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, history means very little to people in, in generally speaking in the media and by extension, people who read the media, which is most of the American public Facts really don't seem to matter. And I think uh, I would say probably since the last couple of political elections, we are in a post-fact era. Uh, emotions and impressions seem greater than. And that's one of the most difficult things to navigate, not only in my musical life with the Smashing Pumpkins and myself as a brand, right, the Billy Corgan brand, um, but also with the NWA is sometimes you're dealing with perceptions that aren't born of any kind of reality. And even when you tell them the reality, because you're not embarrassed by it, Mm -hmm. Like sometimes people try this tag with me, like, well, the NWA ain't what it used to be. It's like, as we say in Chicago, no shit Sherlock. You know what I mean? That's that's why I bought it's it. Universal. That's why somebody yeah. like me could afford to buy it. I was able to pick it up literally up off the ground, dust it off and, and start this journey. And the fact that we're, you know, stumbling into the 75th year is pretty fantastic. I mean, that's really what it's about. Trying to say, well, you know, um, like some guy came at me not too long ago about you know, the, the, the weird years in the 90s with the title and the thing. And it's like, well, I got nothing to do with that. You know what right. I mean? Like, I got nothing to do with that. Um, I guess what the person was trying to do, and, and they weren't being hostile about it, but they were trying to say that this title was more important than that title. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there's only one, you know, 10 pounds of gold in, in all of wrestling. I, yeah. and, and you're outside of probably the, the main WWE title, I, I, I think you're hard pressed to find a title that has more historical import than the 10 pounds of gold. And, and if you want to try to try to basically recreate the Shane Douglas moment of digitally throwing it back in the trash to say, well, you're, you know, yeah, it's cool. You run the NWA, but that title is really not worth something. I think you don't really understand what the emotion you see when a professional wrestler like a Matt Cardona, Nick Aldis, a Trevor Murdoch, a Cody Rhodes, 
when they have won that title, when you see the true emotion that that title represents them, you cannot tell me that that title is not valuable. Right. The, uh, I was watching when Trevor Murdoch won the title and that was a really interesting emotional moment or, or story behind that whole thing. Not going to ask, how did that come about? Nothing like that. But did you know that it was that great when you worked around that? Um, I don't know. You know, um, there's this thing that this guy used to say on ESPN, like, that's why we play the games. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. you can, you, I, I've watched Super Bowls, like, you look at it on paper, you think, oh, this is going to be a great game. And you, you're, you're asleep by the third quarter. <laughs> and I've watched Super Bowls that on paper you think like I don't really give a shit two small market teams not a big deal great game I think there's something sort of magical like I know at one point I talked to um, AEW about uh, going back one more time of course this is when Cody was still in AEW but mm -hmm. that that Nick Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes have such a unique chemistry I would say Cody's probably been Nick's greatest opponent they're, it's like they're like almost like sort of strangely mirror opposites of one another or something. You know what I mean? There's just certain times where there's a particular chemistry, the way talents work together, where they're at in their, in their careers, where they're at, at physically. I'll tell you, they're, they're, Cody and Nick could draw money for 10 years. Uh, it hasn't worked out, in, you know, obviously in terms of trajectory. And that's, that's beyond just like the, let's call it the booking on paper. Like I saw something with those two in the ring that I thought, man, I could watch this for a long time. Sure. So when you put talents in the ring, you never sort of know where it's going to land, how it's going to land. And I've had to learn many times that what I think up in my mind or what I think is just going to work because it looks really good on a piece of paper. It doesn't always work that way. Hmm. Well, down to the last two topics here before I let you go. First one is, my wife likes wrestling. She likes the pumpkins as well. Take that damn compliment here. But not everybody's in a relationship where their significant other loves wrestling. Some, sometimes they just tolerate it. How does your wife feel about wrestling? She's a, tol she's a tolerator. Okay. Very supportive. You know, to her credit, when we were working in the indies, um, because she would always go to the show, she became a, a ring announcer because she was like, well, I, since I'm going to be here all day, I might as well announce in the show. Um, that hasn't, of course, hasn't come up in the NWA. Um, you know, it's fantastic. I collect wrestling memorabilia, never a moment of questioning me about that. Um, obviously I have to watch a lot of wrestling, never a questioning, you know, coming up here, I have to go, uh, work with the NWA for, I think seven days in a row, two days of promotion and five days of the, uh, the shows and the tapings in Nashville, nothing but love and support. So, uh, I can only commend her for being such a great partner in that way. Um, sometimes when I start talking about wrestling, like over, over pizza, over vegan gluten-free pizza, I see her eyes kind of glaze over, like, who are we talking about? And why are we talking about this? But she's cool. This is a great, great person. Your experience sounds like me talking about the David Lee Roth book I'm writing. And, uh, oh, very good. It, it, there hits that moment where that's too, too many anecdotes about DLR. So in your case, you just have to know the one or two before you stop. Well, I know we're almost out of time, but but I will give you I will give you the, the a little story. The last time I saw David Lee Roth in the flesh, I can't remember the name of the strip club, but it's across the street from um, Henson Studios. Oh, Crazy we, Girls! Yes, thank you. <laughs> Everyone has Crazy Girls, Dave. Yeah, I, so I walk into Crazy Girls with God knows who, 
you know, uh, some other rock stars, plural. And, and I look to my left and there's David Lee Roth with two blondes, one on each arm, right? And he looks at me and I had met him before, but you know, it's dark and the music and he looks and he goes, Billy. And he waves me over, you know what I mean? Slow motion. I'm walking over, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a Van Halen video. This is fucking tremendous. <laughs> so God bless David Lee Roth, one of the greatest of all time. Amen. And my last thing before I let you go, your buddy Rick Nielsen strikes me as being a huge wrestling fan, but not being out about it. I know Dax is a wrestling fan, mm -hmm. but Rick has the perfect persona for wrestling. Is Rick Nielsen a wrestling fan? I don't know if Rick's a wrestling fan, but I'm telling you, he is a, he is a worker par excellence. I've been in the Nielsen home many times. And, you know, I guess, I guess it might be fair or unfair to, to talk about an expectation, particularly as it pertains to a celebrity. But okay, you're in the Nielsen home. He takes me in the living room to show me something. Now it's just me and him. And he's still being Rick Nielsen. And if you're a Rick Nielsen fan, you know what I'm talking about. It's like he's the hardest person I've ever had to interview. You can't, you can't get any, there is no Rick Nielsen besides stage Rick Nielsen. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And he said something or did something. Now I grew up on Heinz Hall, I believe his name was, Hunts Hall. Yeah. Who's, who's part of the Rick Nielsen persona, the dead end kids, you know, the upturned cap and. Yeah. And so I'm in Rick's living room. I'm in his home. You know what I mean? You know, the sun is shining and he's showing me something and he's in character. And I go, really? Do you have to do this here? And he's like, he looks at me like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, do you ever put it down? And he goes, but why? <laughs> so a, a related story, and it's, and it's a good one. Uh, I got a chance uh, after the uh, Shawn Michaels uh, Undertaker match at WrestleMania. I don't know how many years ago it was. Uh, I got to talk to Taker after the after the match. And it's the only time I've ever met Taker. Fantastic, total gentleman. Mm -hmm. and, and he asked me of all people what I thought of the match. So, you know what I mean? Like, what am I going to say? You know, it was, a, and it was an incredible match. I told him how I felt. I didn't, right. I wasn't working. I was being myself. And, uh, and I said, I have to tell you something if, if you're okay with that. And he said, sure. And he, and I said, well, I've been by you like 20 times, you know, backstage at WWE shows. And I've always been uh, reluctant to go up and introduce myself to you and I and I imitated him walking by me in the hall and he goes brother I do that shit at home <laughs> not gonna top that now that's what I'm saying what are you gonna say god bless right if you're if you're that guy if you're Rick Nielsen and you want to you want to be in gimmick all the time I got I got nothing I I my gimmick is kind of an anti-gimmick, so you could you could say I'm in gimmick all the time too. But I, I like to think I put it down occasionally, especially for my kids who don't give a fuck about anything. But you know what? I'll tell one quick story and then I gotta go. Sure. The other day I was looking at, at NWA promotional material. I have a six-year-old son, and he's looking over my shoulder and he's looking at a picture and he goes, Hey, that's Ricky Morton. <laughs> and wow. I thought, and I go, You know Ricky Morton? He goes, I love Ricky Morton. Generations love Ricky Morton. Well, absolutely. Line. Thank you for the many years of excellent music. Thank you. Thank you for the NWA and looking forward to seeing you at UBS Arena in New York in the very near future. That sounds good to me. Take care, my friend. You too. Bye bye. Outro cast.